This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. turning as you're getting those out, uh, I was thinking back to when I was a kid and I would play basketball with my dad. And have you ever seen my dad? He's six foot four. Um, I am not. Um, and when I was in elementary school and junior high, I was the shortest kid in my class until I hit freshman year and I had a little growth spurt. But I, I, you guys just know those kids. You're like, oh man, that was me. Like you just kind of feel bad for him. And um, and so I would play basketball with my dad. I was small enough I could literally fit underneath his legs. I could dribble as a, like my whole body underneath his legs and go and try and do layups. And, and it was so fun because he would like let me play him in basketball. And every once in a while, he would actually play hard. And I'd be so frustrated as a kid because I would just be like, you can't, it's not fair. You can't do that. You'd like box me out and just like, step bob me on accident. Just, he was just so much bigger than I was. And... And, but somehow in my imagination, when we were playing and he was letting me win, it was just like this was like how it really was. And I, and I find, I do this all the time with my own kids. I'll be playing in the backyard soccer with my girls. And, and there's this expectation on their part that I'm going to let them win. Um, which for the majority of times I do because I don't want to make them cry more than they already do. Uh, so, I, I, so, so I'll let them win, we'll play. But every once in a while, this thing comes over me. I'm just like, I just want to remind them who they're dealing with, you know? Like, it's just, I don't know what, I don't think it's like a Christian thing or godly thing, but it just kind of comes over me and I'll just like dribble around them, shoot really hard and they kind of like get shocked and I'm like, it's right, it's right. <laughs> just remember, remember that when you think you're scoring all your goals um, and, or, or when Augustine comes up and he'll like want to wrestle with me and we're wrestling and hitting each other with pillows and stuff like that. And every once in a while, I'll just like lift him up over my head. I'm like, just you remember, okay, little boy. And, um, and he's like, oh my gosh, like, that's right. Put him down. It's just like, it's just this, it's this reminder of, okay, let's, let's remember who, you, who you're dealing with here. Um, and, and as much as it's, it's to remind them of my strength, actually what I find is this, there's moments as much as they want to uh, compete and things like that, knowing their father is stronger than them, them breeds safety in their minds and their hearts. They want to know, and as much as they want to be invited in and have this safe place to be with them, at the end of the day, there's this thing in every child, like, I want to know that I'm safe with my father. And, and the reason I bring up that story is because we are in the middle of a series right now called Heart Renovation, and we've been focusing the past month on this idea of how to be with Jesus. And we presented these different ideas like prayer and silence and solitude, understanding Jesus as shepherd, and all of which are absolutely vital and true. But, to, but tonight, I would like Jesus just to flex a little bit. I want Jesus just to remind us that not only is he the baby in the manger, not only is he the rabbi carpenter from Nazareth, he's also the king of kings and lord of lords. And we need both to understand who Jesus is. Without understanding his holiness, we have no appreciation for his humility. And so tonight, we're going to be taking a specific look at Jesus in his glory. And, and the goal tonight, 
is for us to respond in worship. Um, one of the reasons we kind of cut worship short is because our guest worship leader was kind of blowing it, so we just said, no, you got it. <laughs> cut short. <laughs> but no, we wanted, we wanted to spend a significant amount of time after, after the message uh, responding to the holiness of God, responding to the magnificence of Jesus. And so uh, I was thinking about Proverbs 19.18. It's this, this famous verse and says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. And normally that verse comes up when there's like a new campaign or there's a new vision for the church, all which is great. But what if we applied that verse to our understanding of Jesus? If we don't have a proper view of Jesus, something in us is unhealthy. Something in us will lack what's supposed to be there. Our, how we live out our relationship to him, our response to his love and to his holiness missing. So our goal tonight is to have a proper vision of Jesus Again, not just as shepherd, which is vital and true, but also as king and Lord. And it's holding both of these in hand that we'll be able to have a greater understanding of who he is and a more accurate response in our lives. So I wanted to read you guys Philippians 2, 9 through 11. This is Paul writing about Jesus's humility. And he writes to this church and he says, hey, remember, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Uh, think of others, others' needs more important than your own. Think about Jesus. Have this mindset among you who, even though being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself uh, a servant and made himself obedient even unto death. And just this beautiful picture of Jesus' humility. But then he does this. After he talks about Jesus being obedient even unto death, he says, but therefore God exalted him to the highest place. This is where Jesus is right now. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I love that image that right now Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is ruling and reigning with the name that is higher than every other name. This is the Jesus that is inviting us into apprenticeship to him, to follow him. What an amazing reality. And so this is what, uh, uh, this, this is, I just kind of want to lay this out before we dive into our, our text tonight. It, it's just a fear that is, that is in my heart, um, pastorally, over my life and over people's lives. And it's this idea um, is that sometimes uh, we can have this, this view of God that isn't accurate, whether because we want God to become who we want him to become, or whether where we honestly have a skewed view of God and we've become fearful of him. But I think this will be on your screen. This is just a fear of mine says this. Because we are tempted to think God is who we want him to be rather than who he truly is, then being in his presence reflects our convenience and comfort rather than his majesty and holiness. And, and as I've, and I've examined my life, when I have a low view of God, a low view of Jesus, my worship becomes convenient and comfortable. But when I see Jesus high and lifted up, my worship becomes radical and raw and authentic to who he is. And so that's, that's our goal tonight, is to dive into that. And so the way we're gonna do that is a little bit um, out of the ordinary. Normally, we just kind of preach through one text, and we're gonna actually talk about four. So like I said, it's a little bit of, of reading tonight. 
But these four passages are all different times throughout Scripture when someone encounters God high and lifted up. Um, and obviously we know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there are specific times when people see Jesus. They see Yahweh. They see God on his throne. They see him in the fullness of his presence. And what we want to do is we look through these four different text through the Bible is to look for common themes that people experience when they see God. And so we're going to be kind of going through those. Let's, let's start with Jesus in Matthew 17, because there's a moment where his followers are familiar with him. They've lived with him for three years. They've seen Jesus with bedhead, right? They know if he has bad breath. I mean, they just, they've just come to know Jesus of Nazareth, and something peculiar happens. Matthew 17, 1 through 8 says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters or three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, listen, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. I love Jesus' response here. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up. He said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. First scenario. Let's turn backwards to the second book in the Bible, Exodus 33. This is from a guy named Moses, who to this day is the greatest hero in Israel's history. He's the one who led them out of Egypt into the promised land. And and Moses' entire journey is marked by his intimacy with this God named Yahweh, who he believes him, he follows him, and because of it, he miraculously leads his people out of Egypt. And one day, Moses has the nerve to talk to God and say, I want to see your face. I want to see you in your fullness. And this is what happens. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I mean, what, is, what a crazy interaction. Moses, after all of these years and seeing all these miracles, just looks and says, I want to see you. The real you, the raw you, all of your glory. And God's response is, I will let all of my goodness pass by you. What a, what a sentence. And, and, and he's doing this, but here's the deal, you'll die. So I'm going to hide you and cover you, and I'll let you see a part of it because that's all you can handle because that's how good and glorious and holy that I am. Moses, right after that moment, uh, takes stone tablets and writes 
out the Ten Commandments and talks about him worshiping God. In this moment, Jesus or Yahweh reveals his name as he is the Lord that is slow to anger and rich in love, compassionate. I mean, it is this incredible encounter. Let's fast forward a few hundred years to when Israel has not only taken the land, but they become a kingdom. But that kingdom has kind of imploded on itself because of the sin of its kings. There's been civil war. Israel and Judah have been ripped apart. And they're now under siege from Assyria and soon to be Babylon. And things are not looking good for the Israelites. And they have this one king named King Uzziah. And King Uzziah was kind of a bright moment in their history. He was the second most prosperous king next to Jehoshaphat. Great name, by the way, if you're thinking of baby names. Um, and, and he kind of has this prosperous kingdom and at the very end of his life, has a moment of pride and be, decides to worship the Lord in a way that um, was not allowed in scripture. And he's, and he's begged by the priest, please don't do this. And he decides through his own pride just to march right through and to worship God how he seemed fit. And that was essentially the end of his reign as king. And, and the year that he died, which I think is, is specific to why Isaiah wrote this, because how he opens the sentence, a new vision of God is revealed. And so this is the, kind of our third scene that we're finding from Scripture tonight. Isaiah 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is talking Isaiah, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the Temple. Remember that robes in, in, in Hebrew culture represented authority. So think about how much authority and power is represented when the entire train of it fills the temple of heaven. Above him were seraphim, angelic creatures, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds, which in Hebrew means the strongest points of the temple, the most immovable points in heaven, says that as they're shouting about the holiness of God, begin to shake and tremble, and were filled with smoke. Isaiah says, woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I mean, th this is a radical encounter. One, one of my favorites, because when Isaiah sees this vision of God, he's undone. Can't contain himself. The best, most successful, strongest part of Isaiah was his mouth. He was a prophet. And the thing he identifies that would used to be his strength wasn't enough. So I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't belong here in this holy place. And what I love in that moment is Jesus immediately makes a way for him to stay in his presence. This conversation happens that is really peculiar. We talked about Thursday night at our prayer night. 
But when there is this conversation, it says, who, whom shall I send, talking to Israel, and who will go for us? Most scholars believe that when the enthroned king of heaven says, who will go for us, it is an internal conversation with the Trinity. And Isaiah in that moment says, put me in, coach. I'm your guy. But we find out 700 years later that that, answer, that question was answered by Jesus when he said, I'll go. I'll go and make this right. But in this moment, Isaiah's life trajectory changes because he saw God. He saw him high and lifted up. And what we, what we believed is he was Jesus fulfilling a question he asked the Trinity, I'll go. Let's fast forward to the end of the, of the scriptures in Revelation chapter 1, we're going to have an encounter with John the disciple seeing Jesus high and lifted up. And let's just make this clear because this isn't just like Old Testament like Moses and Isaiah. And of course, they see this crazy God. No, this is John. John's the most like sensitive. He's the guy who laid on Jesus' chest at the Lord's Supper. I'm like, he's like teacher's pet. I mean, John is just the guy who just loves the warm, cozy, therapeutic version of Jesus, just kind of where he lived. When you read his letters, it's just, he wants to talk about love, you know, he's probably like listens to Nora Jones and reads poetry. It's just, he's that kind of guy. But he has an encounter with God. He encounters an encounter with Jesus high and lifted up. Listen to what happens. He says, I turn around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, Jesus' favorite term for himself, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth with a sharp double-edged sword, his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Here it is again. Then he placed his right hand on me. He said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now, look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's just pray. Let's just take a moment. We've read a lot of scripture. Let's just, let's just spend a moment. Let's just kind of let the Holy Spirit um, absorb this into our, our hearts. God, we come to you tonight and we recognize that as available and accessible as you are, you have never forfeited your holiness. You are more powerful and grand and majestic than we could ever fathom. And Lord, our prayer tonight is that of Moses. Show us your glory. Jesus, we want to see you high and lifted up. And Lord, we recognize that there is an element of, of terror and being overwhelmed with that kind of request, but thank you that every single time, even if we feel undone, you will come and touch us. 
you will draw us back into relationship with you. But Lord, um, personally, I want to see more of your glory. I want to know more of your holiness. Jesus, I want to see you high and lifted up and thrown at the right hand of the Father, not only tonight, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Four thoughts, four themes that we see come up again and again in these different scenarios. Um, And my my hope is as we kind of... um, look at these four themes we see in these texts, that we'd begin to hold them as a mirror to us in our experience in the presence of God. Um, Not for us to feel bad or good about how we do, but to actually view, is our worship, is our response to the presence of God biblical? (laughs) Are we responding in a way that, again, feels convenient and comfortable? Or is this sense of we are, again, blown away by the presence and the beauty, the majesty of who God is? So four thoughts. I think they're going to be on your screen. Uh, Every one of these scenarios, there is a reverent physical reaction. So when these people see God, there's something in them that changes and shifts and they bow or they lay down, they lose it, they're hidden behind a rock. There's, there's some sort of physical response when they see the, the full, unpolluted presence of God. Number two, there's a holistic response. There's something that moves beyond just the moment and there's something in them that actually changes. And when we see it happen uh, for months, years after this person's life, something in them changes at a core level. Number three, there's a loving revelation. This is so huge. Please hear, if you hear one thing tonight, this might be it. When people encounter the holy, totally clear view of God's holiness, it is always attached to him revealing his love, which blows my mind. When he flexes his power with Moses, he immediately identifies that he's a God of compassion. With Isaiah, as he reveals him, immediately he starts giving him prophecies about a Messiah who will come and rescue their people. When Jesus reveals himself and is transfigured on the mountain, it is moments from him going to the cross and showing his love. When John sees Jesus high and lifted up and and later on in his age, he's then commissioned into writing letters. One of them says, don't forget your first love. And it ends with him talking about a marriage feast. I mean, it's amazing that the the revelation is not just for us to stay in his holiness, but for us to move into his love. And then lastly, the fourth one is reconciled relationship. Is that every single one of them is, is a signpost towards what we are looking for when heaven and earth are reunited And the consummation comes when when Jesus comes back again and claims his bride. Every one of these is pointing towards God's reconciling act of his people back to himself. So uh, let's walk through these four things and allow them just to, again, to shape how we respond to the presence of God. Number one, there's a reverent reaction, an instantaneous, physical, reverent reaction. Um, I remember growing up, in, I grew up in a really amazing Presbyterian church in La Jolla called Mount Solida Press. And worship there was beautiful. It was, it was very contemplative. There wasn't a lot of like physical response in worship. Um, maybe some here and there, but I, for me, it wasn't something I really encountered a lot. And then one, one time I went to a summer camp and people were going nuts. 
like, they were, like, raising their hands, which I'd never really seen before. They were, like, laying out. People were dancing. And, like, I mean, they were going for it. And I look, and I just sat in the back room, like, man, these people are so weird. Like, <laughs> someone needs to tell them how to worship. And... <laughs> But what was so interesting, I remember I'm, I'm, in, I'm like a freshman in high school and I've never seen people worship physically like that before. And something in my heart, as strange as it was, found it incredibly compelling. I'm like, what would cause them to do that? Is that real? Are they doing this for show? No. And, and, and the more I observed it, the more I got to know these people, the more I realized, I'm like, these people are madly in love with Jesus and they can't contain it. I know it's something I never experienced before, but it, it was compelling. And, and, and scripture has a lot to say about a physical response in worship. Um, and so I'm going to read you nine really briefly that we find in the Psalms. This is an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's more. But just nine really quick in the Psalms of physical responses that happen when people are worshiping and in the presence of God. Number one, dealing with our voice uh, is speaking. Psalm 34.1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Next is shouting. Psalm 27.6 says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, will I sacrifice with shouts of joy? Uh, number three, singing, which we'll be doing some more of tonight. Psalm 47, 6 says, sing praises to God. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Um, next, we have our posture. Uh, we have bowing down. Psalm 95, 6 says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Maybe one of the most common worshipful responses in scripture Maybe one of the most unfamiliar in church, though, which I find interesting. Uh, number two is standing. You guys do great at that, by the way. Every week, it just kudos to you, biblically speaking. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws, Psalm 119, 120. Uh, number three, uh, or in this section, dancing. You guys could kind of grow in that. I'm just saying, you know, I could grow in that a little bit. Um, just kidding, I hate to dance. Psalm 149.3 says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and a harp. Um, next, playing instruments. Psalm 33.2 says, praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on a 10-stringed Taylor guitar. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Added that part. Uh, number two, clapping. Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to the Lord God who cries with cries of joy. And lastly, lifting hands. Psalm 63.4 says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. The reason I just kind of lay those out um, is for us to understand that when we encounter the presence of God, not only is it natural, but it is biblical for there to be a physical movement in us. Um, I, I will never tell you and prescribe to you this is how you should do it. This is how the kind of uh, way you should do it um, because I, I believe that you have freedom in Christ. But what I would say this is something happens when we see God that compels us at a core level. And we all know what this is because we've all encountered things in our life that are so exciting we just have to move, right? A sporting event when you jump up when your team scores, 
right? When, when, you, see, uh, when you see something exciting and you, and you jump from your seat, I mean, there's these moments when you, someone does something great and you stand up to applause. There's things naturally in life that demand that kind of response. How much more so when we encounter the presence of the living God? Um, and, and I think uh, what holds us back from this, to be honest, is pro- it's probably fear um, of what we don't know. And because all of us kind of have these like unwritten laws in our mind, like what worship should look like, but it shouldn't. Some of you guys are brand new to church and all of this feels weird. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, some of you guys have grown up in different kind of faith traditions and, and this might feel overwhelming. And some of you guys might grow up in faith traditions and you might guys walk in here and be like, this is weak sauce, you know, like. And, and, what I, and, and I remember there's a time uh, as a youth pastor, we had a, a guy invite a friend precious guy. Um, and he came in and I was, I was on the stage. I was helping lead worship. I think he was playing drums. And he starts, um, he's in front of the row and he starts dancing. And I remember playing drums and I'm like, cool. He's, he's dancing in worship, you know, like that's cool. I don't have a lot of that, but cool. Um, and then he starts like dancing more. Um, and by dancing it was, um, it was ballet. He was, I'm not kidding myself. He was doing ballet in front of the stage. And he was really good at it. <laughs> and, and slowly but surely, uh, eyes started to open, and like we're they're just like watching him and dance, and and I'm playing drums, and I'm like, okay, and immediately I'm just I'm confessing this to you. Immediately I'm trying to find biblical reasons why this, this guy should stop, <laughs> and I got nothing. Couldn't figure it out, um, and it ends up getting like so much so he literally cleared like a mosh pit for himself, like in the front. It was. <laughs> It was a night to remember for sure. Um, and after I had this conversation with this guy, I was just so curious. I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he's, he's like, man, it's like, this is how I worship. I'm like, awesome. Like, have you ever danced in the back of the room before? Because that's a lot of space back there. <laughs> just totally in my flesh, right? Just totally. And um, in the end of being, he's like, he's like, no, my job is to show the church that they're wrong in their perception of worship. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, uh, and it, was this, and it was this moment, and the reason I share that story, it wasn't, wasn't to do anything other than the fact that it was, those, it was moments like that of me feeling uncomfortable where I really had to evaluate what is biblical worship? What is a biblical response to it? And just realizing most of what I view as healthy, vibrant worship is maybe more cultural than scriptural. And, and, and all I would just leave you with, and I'm not making a campaign for us to become the dancing church or anything like that. There's room in the back if you want to. But <laughs> there's, um, but, my, but my idea is this, is that maybe in, in, our, in our moments of worship, I'm not just talking about music here. I'm just talking about in your quiet time when you're in your car. W- would you be open to letting the Lord move you? May, maybe we need to spend some more time on our face. Maybe we need to spend some more time kneeling down. Maybe, maybe for someone who's like me who tends to be more quiet, maybe there's an element where I can shout for the glory of God. I, I don't know. But all I know is when I encounter the presence of God, there's something in me that I want to be compelled to change. Second, second thing that we see as a, as a theme, that's the longest one in case you're getting worried, uh, uh, is, is this holistic response. I think about 
how Isaiah's response to the presence of God is an immediate send me, I'll go. It is this missional awakening. That response of worship doesn't just happen in a, in, in a church. It happens on our streets and in our neighborhoods. It, helps, it happens when we encounter uh, the single mom. It happens when we encounter the homeless person. It happens when we encounter someone in our life. And when we see God high and lifted up, it moves us with compassion. It moves us to a place of being missionally awakened to what God is, God's agenda is around us. Um, number two, there's this confessional element and, and, and where I, even Isaiah just looks and he's like, man, I'm, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And what I love is every one of these times when people fall on their face, they're afraid, things like that, immediately God doesn't let them stay in that place. He draws them out. He touches their shoulder. He cleanses their lip. He welcomes them. It's the mercy and grace of God in that place that actually lets us be real. Our most authentic self can be that in the presence of God. And lastly, is there's this declarative response and, and where you can't keep it in. Like, I have to go and tell someone. John wrote letters. Moses carved things in tablets. The disciples went and, and told people down the mountain. And there's, Isaiah went and told the Israelites the prophecies about the Messiah. There's this something when you see the presence of God, you can't just keep it in. You have, you have to be moved out. Tim Keller says that God directs his people not simply to worship, but to sing his praises before the nations. We are called not simply to communicate the gospel to non-believers. We must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. That worship is actually tied into our, our, even our hearts for those who don't know Jesus. That when they see us and when we respond, when we declare the goodness of God, it draws them in. And, and, and the reason I'm bringing that up is, and maybe this is something you guys know, but maybe it's something we don't practice, is that worship has to move beyond these walls. When we encounter Jesus high and lifted up, Mondays change. Our families change. We, we, we change, which is why worship is so vital. Paul says this in Romans 12, 1. He says, therefore, I urge you. He's begging brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, right? The, view, the, the clear view of seeing God in his mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship is an offering of our bodies. It's this holistic transformation that takes place because we've been encountering God. Billy Graham says the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. Our truest response to seeing God's presence happens in our lives. The third theme we see, which we'd mentioned in the beginning, which even though this may not be our longest point, I think maybe our most important, is when people encounter God's holiness, even though they might feel undone, even though they might have an immediate sense of feeling, wow, God's incredibly more powerful than I ever imagined always leads to a revelation of his love. And that's, and that's my, my prayer tonight specifically. Um, 
In a few minutes from now, we're going to be spending some more time in worship. And we're, we're going to pray that we see Jesus high and lifted up. We're going to pray for a new vision of Jesus enthroned, of the, the majesty and the grandeur of who Jesus is. But it should lead us, biblically, it should lead us to a greater revelation, not just of his holiness, but of his love. And, and we see this again with Moses understanding that in this encounter, Jesus reveal, or Yahweh reveals, this is my name. And in my name, compassion is built. Isaiah's seeing God's heart for his people. Jesus on his way to the cross. There's so much that we need to understand that our worship ultimately leads us to understanding God's love. Um, A.W. Tozer says, says this in his, um, his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which Shameless plug. If you, if this piques your interest in like, man, I, I want a higher view of God, read this book. It'll change your life. It's changed my life. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And in the book, he talks about this and in, 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 concerning with worship and understanding God's love. It says, yet if we would know God and for others' sake tell what we know, we must try to speak of his love. All Christians have tried, but none has ever done it very well. Thanks, Tozer. I can no more do justice to that awesome and wonder-filled theme than a child can grasp a star. Just love that line. Still, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. Here, here it is, church. So as I stretch my heart toward the high shining love of God, someone has not before known about it may be encouraged to look up and have hope. The presence of God reveals this unfathomable Love is what Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians. You could never even grasp it. You actually need the strength of the Holy Spirit to even understand what it is because it's that vast. And lastly, is when you see God flex his power, his might and his strength, you also see his agenda and his purpose. And in every one of these scenarios woven into the text, you see a God who is relentlessly reconciling his people back to himself. That has always been his agenda since the garden. I want my people back I want what's in darkness to come to light. I want what was lost to be found. I want what's broken to be mended. I want what's been oppressed to be liberated. I want what's been abused to be healed. God is calling as he shows his power. It's not just to say, look at, at me and all my power. It's to say, my power is going towards rescuing you. I want you back. Israel, I want you back, so I'm leading you out of e Egypt. Israel, I want you back, so I'm sending you a Messiah. Disciples, I want you back, so I'm letting you walk with the Son of Man. Earth, I want you back, so I'm coming back for you. It's just the theme of Scripture is God's power is always connected 
to his reconciling agenda and purpose to get us back into relationship with him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Hebrews 4.16 says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that, we may be, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. After a sermon like this, isn't this verse just a little confusing? Approach God's throne with confidence? Everyone seems kind of scared. But if you remember, every one of these scenarios is referencing and pointing God. His power is always reflecting and revealing his love. And so why he says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My friends, we're going to be spending a few moments in worship. I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, come confidently. Come confidently. I want to see your glory. Jesus, I want to see you high and lifted up. And be willing, as, as we experience the presence of God, not, not a worship team, please hear me out. Not music, not lyrics. The presence of God. Would we be moved at a physical level, at a holistic level, at a missional level? Would we not be the same. That will tell us if we encounter the presence of God. It is when we are moved outside of our convenience, outside of our comfort. I'll leave you with this quote. John Ortberg, who's a brilliant pastor up in Northern California, says this, I need to worship. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and I plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship. I need to see Jesus high and lifted up. And that's our hope tonight. that there would be nothing special about tonight other than the fact that our hearts are now open to the God who's here in this place and that we'd encounter him and worship him with everything that we have.